Hills and Valleys is a podcast that uncovers stories from leaders in healthcare, tech, and everything in between. Straight from the heart of Silicon Valley, we give you a look at the good, the bad, and the future, one episode at a time. Brought to you by Petro Medical. Hey everyone, Omar M. Khatib, Director of Growth here at Petro Medical with another great episode of Hills and Valleys. Now, whether you are in a hospital or working in medical practice or like myself in the medical device or biotechnology industry, we're all working towards the same goal, which is doing what's best for the patient. But a lot of times we don't get to hear directly from patients what it's like to live in their shoes, to hear the trials and tribulations, the pains, the struggles. But in this episode, we decided to do that. So we invited two very special guests to join us. One is Patty McCormick, who is a a registered nurse that works as a director of program over at the National Kindy Foundation, and a very special friend of hers uh, known as the Renal Warrior, uh, who goes by the name of Wilson Dew. Now, Wilson Dew, AKA the Renal Warrior, is living proof that sometimes when you look for a hero, you find one within yourself. Because at age 34, he went to the doctor because he had these pains in his ankles and knees, and that turned out to be gout, but to his surprise, his doctor came back and told him that his life was about to change because he was diagnosed with stage five kidney disease and pretty much would need dialysis to live. To add to that, he also learned that he was not eligible at the time for a kidney transplant because he weighed 315 pounds. And doing a kidney transplant at that weight was just not possible. So being wheelchair bound and unable to exercise, Wilson took a very painful first step outside. And taking a deep breath, he decided instead of giving up on life, he chose to fight for it. So he shares this incredibly heartwarming tear-jerking, painful journey that in the end will definitely make you better, whether you're in the hospital, as a physician or nurse, or in the industry, because hearing these types of patient stories are the reason why we chose to work in this industry. So sit back and definitely uh, enjoy this incredibly moving and insightful interview with Wilson Dew, the Reno Warrior, and his good friend, Patty McCormick. Hey everybody, Omar M. Khatib, Director of Growth, and I have two very special guests with me today. I have Wilson Dew, who is a dialysis patient, but also an inspiring individual that we got to meet a few months ago. Uh, he's a local entrepreneur, and if you haven't heard of him, his name online is Renal Warrior, and we're going to get into his story in a moment. And of course, uh, Patty McCormick, who is a registered nurse and program director at the National Kidney Foundation for the last 13 years, and a self-proclaimed fan of Rita Warrior. <laughs> so that said, we'll jump right into it. Thank you very much for, for joining us today. Thanks for having us. So let's talk about kidneys. Why is there so little awareness around it and, and what are we doing to sort of raise that? Well, let's see. There are um, 73 million Americans at risk for kidney disease. 26 million uh, have some level of kidney disease and 90% of those folks don't know it. So why aren't kidneys better known? I don't know, but we need some good PR. Um, 
if you think about other disease states like breast cancer, breast cancer in the 70s and 80s where it was not well known after much awareness raising. Now, if you if everyone knows they need to be tested, if you're diagnosed, you get treated immediately. With kidney disease, it's not the case. Most people don't know they have it because it's a silent disease. Most people don't even know where their kidneys are, what they do. Um, and when you, when you get very ill with kidney disease, you might go to the ER and think you have the flu, and you find out, in fact, that your kidneys have failed, and you do something called crashing into dialysis, which is something Wilson do may be familiar with. Yeah, uh, well, you know, it's it's definitely not a sensationalized disease, uh, is, is, is what I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when I was diagnosed, I, I had no idea what the disease was, and, and now after um, hanging out with Patty for so much and she, she's given us these stats I, I can't believe that not everybody knows about this it's 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 really an epidemic 90% of the people that don't know about it and when she's talking about crashing into dialysis she means crashing into dialysis not knowing you have this disease and all of a sudden boom you have to start dialysis your whole life gets flipped upside down and so yeah there, there there's just has has to be much more of an effort I think uh to get the word out there. So I'm wondering, you know, so Patty, from a point of view of a nurse, you know, I, I have some some medical medical background and training, and the kidneys are covered, but even now, me personally, so I, I have one functional kidney, but my kidneys aren't really talked a whole lot about when I go to a doc, doctor visit. And when I talk to other people, you know, we talk about how healthy is your heart, right? Um, you know, a few other things, but the kidney, which is arguably one of the most important organs in the body, not so much. Why, why is that? Why is medicine behind on that? Uh, one reason may be that uh, kidney disease is the result of other diseases. Uh, the two leading causes of kidney disease are uncontrolled high blood pressure and uncontrolled diabetes. So if you're talking about heart disease, for example, there's a heart attack. When you're talking about kidney disease, there's no kidney attack. It's really years of progressive um, damage to these two organ- organs that are working very hard for us every day. And the burden really falls on, a, um, on the primary care space. And, and primary care practitioners do a, a good job of covering high blood pressure and diabetes. Uh, what hasn't been systematized is a, a testing for your kidney health. And so one of the things that the National Kidney Foundation has been working on is getting a kidney profile put into your lab. So we've partnered with large laboratories and associations nationwide, and we continue to do so, so that just like your cholesterol panel on your lab result, you would have a kidney panel. So the physician could order it with one click, and you as the patient consumer would see all of your kidney results, and it would be obvious if there was an issue. So without mentioning it to the doctor, it, you, you may have kidney disease and not even know about it? Is that like? Right, so the other piece I wanna be really clear about is that you are in charge of your healthcare mm-hmm. and you cannot depend on an overburdened broken system to get it right all the time. So when you get blood draws and you look at your labs, you really need to go through them with a fine-tooth comb. If you hear about kidney disease and you want to know more, you need to ask the question. If you have high blood pressure or diabetes, you need to make sure that your kidneys are getting tested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, 
and there's no, I don't think there's any reason uh, for patients not to be empowered to start doing that. You know, so many people are better versed on, uh, you know, their blood sugar levels, um, doing, uh, doing checks, you know, for lumps in their breasts. Um, so I think that's perfectly reasonable, especially considering how incredibly important, you know, the kidneys are. Um, you know, for the listeners who are not too uh, aware of how the kidneys function, uh, the best definition I, I heard is that we all think of kidneys and we think, okay, that's the thing that, that makes urine. But uh, Dr. Joel Tov, who's the uh, nephrologist on Twitter, put it best that the kidneys are, uh, the product of the kidneys is equilibrium and the byproduct ends up being urine. And so for something that brings equilibrium to your body, it's, it's incredibly important. Right now, um, I believe of the labs, the only thing that really gives you an idea of kidney health is creatinine. Is that correct? I think creatinine is probably the best known one. There's also something called the BUN. Um, and, and many labs do calculate something called the GFR, which gives you a reading on how well your kidneys are filtering. Um, but it's not mandatory for that to happen or to be reported across all systems. And so that, again, goes back to our, our um, push to get that kidney profile so it's all pulled together. And then right now, just for, for your average patient, you know, is there anything that you would advise them, any tips you'd give them to do when they go to the doctor, you know, things to talk about? What, what, can, what can people do now? So if they have any risk factors, blood pr high blood pressure, diabetes, a family history of kidney disease, uh, then they need to ask that they get two tests done. They get a urine test for something called the ACR, the albumin creatinine ratio, which is, uh, which tells you whether or not you are spilling protein into your urine. Normally, healthy kidneys do not spill any protein. It's a larger molecule. But when there's uh, damage to your filters, the larger molecule, molecules can slip through and protein shows up in your urine. That's an early sign of kidney damage. And the other is the blood test for the creatinine and the calculation of the GFR. Got it. Got it. One thing I want to ask you all, you all about before you get to Wilson's story is, so uh, the White House came out with an executive order uh, around kidney health, and I'm going to read, this is directly from the National Kidney Foundation's website, put together a very nice article on this. Uh, for those who are interested in more, you can go to uh, www.kidney.org, and so reading from the article that summarizes it, it's the, it says that the administration's plan is to include five alternative payment models for coverage of kidney disease treatments, which includes incentives for transplantation and slowing the progress of kidney disease, home dialysis, and early care of kidney patients. Expanded financial assistance to living donors to cover lost wages and dependent care during donations and recovery. Uh, and then the last part is new measures for organ procurement organizations to help increase transplantation, efforts to reduce the number of kidneys discarded, and efforts to advance the development of artificial kidney and public awareness campaign to reach at-risk populations and also help increasing the living donor uh, living donor, organ donor donations. So it's a lot. But what's the most important part of that of that executive order? You're gonna make me pick my favorite. Um, I, ca I can't do it. So in short, it's increasing the diagnosis of early CKD, which would stop the tsunami that could be coming to end-stage renal disease with 100,000 new uh, diagnosed end-stage renal patients a year, 100,000. Right, so we have to diagnose it earlier, we have to stop it. Increase um, in both home dialysis and preemptive transplant. So right now, 80% of patients end up going straight to clinic, often crashing into dialysis. By 2025, the goal is that 80% of newly diagnosed patients will either be on home dialysis or they will have a preemptive transplant. So they never have to have any dialysis, they go right to transplant. It's a huge, aggressive goal. 
may we succeed. And then the third is increasing living donation through a variety of avenues. That's decreasing discards. About 3,000 kidneys get discarded. They're actually recovered by the organ procurement organization intended for transplant, but through a variety of reasons, um, they never make it to the transplant. Wait, 3,000? A year. A year gets discarded because it didn't make it in time to get to... For whatever reason, not just wow. timing, there's logistics, there's all kinds of reasons. National Kidney Foundation put together a uh, working group a couple years ago and recommended 14 ways to tackle this uh, this problem. So, so there are solutions. Uh, it's, a, again, systemic issue that needs to be worked on, and that, that sort of moves into the third piece, which is improving the organ procurement organization system. I got to ask, because I, I can tell that it, it, it bothered Wilson a lot right now, but Wilson, tell me, you know, in terms of, you know, the transplant list, and, and you, you, had, you had a response right now when you, when you heard about those 3,000 discarded. Tell, tell me about that from your perspective. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's, you're, you're looking, I, not even just for me, but, I mean, that's 3,000 potential lives that it, it could have saved. There, there's, I don't know the exact stat, but there's so many people that pass um, per year, per day, per week, per month, waiting on a kidney donation. And you're looking at 3,000 being discarded, that's 3,000 too many. Um, just because, you know, every single one of that can, can represent a different life. So that, that's where it hits, it, it kind of hits on probably the chills just thinking about 3,000. And this is, you know, just, just based off of, you know, from one reason or another. And how long are they telling you you have to wait for a deceased donor? Uh, right now, uh, I, I've had uh, a couple of uh, wait times. One is between five and seven years, and another one's between seven and ten years. And that's for you to, to receive a kidney transplant? Uh, deceased donor. Deceased donor. So uh, I'm actively out there looking for a living donor at the moment. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, it, it's, you know, kind of hits home. No, Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, and I think it's uh, you're the, the president of the National Kidney Foundation says something really nice, and I, I definitely agree with him that right now it, it, there's kind of a renaissance going on with kidney health and nephrology because there's so much awareness and, and interest to, to solve for it. And, you know, medicine, especially here in the U.S., we have the opportunity to save millions of lives and also prevent billions of dollars, you know, being wasted uh, on this, you know, and so that's, not, you know, real edgy here, so I do want to bring up something that, uh, and it seems like in the last couple of months, more and more stories, and, and not only from uh, the news, but also the technology around kidney health, but there's a story that was circling, circulating around about a gentleman who ended up having $500,000 in debt from dialysis, and the... I'm not familiar with it. You're not familiar. Oh, Keep going. So, so essentially what happened was there's a gentleman who had about $500,000 uh, worth of debt from, from, um, uh, from dialysis. And I won't mention the company that was involved with that. But essentially what happens is that I believe it's either Medicaid or Medicare that if you're under the age of 65, right, you, you can qualify for it. But it happens after 90 days. And that 90-day window is this time where patients are most vulnerable and of course, when you need dialysis, you don't wait 90 days, you have to just go straight in. And that was the amount of money that got accumulated. They ended up forgiving it because it was such a you know, terrible PR thing for that company. Um, but is that something common that you, you hear about? You know? Um, you know, just the, 
the system in, in general, um, I, I believe it's, it needs to be reformed. Uh, um, I, I won't call it broken or whatever it is. It, it's, 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 there's so much to be said. In, in my experience, a lot of it has been just more, you're more a number and they're trying to get things through. Um, I had uh, a situation with uh, my previous insurance where uh, they had canceled it and for a just a very trivial reason or whatever and, and, and after speaking with them, saying that, look, if you cancel this, if you don't reinstate it, I will not get my care and if I do not get my care, you don't understand, this is not, I don't have a common cold. If I don't get my dialysis, I will no longer survive. And the, the only thing that I got from them was they said, I'm sorry, I'm just a messenger. I go, well, you know, and they're just good luck. So I, I, that's my experience with, with, with the whole system. So, so what you're talking about is it's, it, it is a broken system, but, um, you know, uh, hopefully there, we have people like the NKF fighting for, fighting for us. So that's why, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I want to add that, you know, Medicare started covering kidney failure in the early 70s, um, and it's it's a tremendous benefit. Anyone anyone qualifies once their kidneys fail, but, and, uh, it's a really complicated um, process. So there's levels of Medicare, there's different uh, A, yeah. B, um, these deadlines that if you miss a deadline, you can really be um, behind the eight ball with debt it and it's inc and, and you sort of alluded to it it's incredibly stressful to uh, crash into dialysis be extremely ill mm -hmm. and be expected to stay on top of mountains of paperwork and deadlines to get the insurance coverage that you need to survive um, so one of the things that NKF does is advocate we have an office in DC we spend a lot of time on the hill with patient advocates um, trying to close those gaps one of the gaps is the um, post-transplant medication coverage. So after, uh, again, for whatever reason, after uh, three years, uh, your Medicare will stop covering your post-transplant medication. The theory is that you would get a transplant, you'd be back to working, you'd get your insurance through your employer, and you would no longer need Medicare. But the truth is that's not how it works out for everybody. Right. And so um, we've been trying to, to get this legislation looked at and passed for, for many years. CMS is actually I believe supportive, but it, again, it's a complicated, it's a complicated thing. Um, but there's lots of work to be done around this. It's extremely stressful. Uh, Medicare has some great counselors, actually, that I try to get patients to access, um, and we have some work to do. Is Medicare, Medicare is obviously what saved me during that whole fiasco. But uh, is is that throughout anybody that's diagnosed with? kidney disease in the United States? Anybody. Anybody, good. And, and that, that was, was, was one of the things that was almost the, the saving grace. I mean, that came in a law when? In the 70s, 80s? 1972. 1972. That's awesome. NKF um, get that through? Part of it. Part, part of it? Part of it? A lot of, lot of patient advocates. Um, what's significant is that, you know, 7% of the uh, Medicare budget is spent on less than 1% of population. Can you, can you say that one more time? 7% of the Medicare budget ends up being spent on dialysis patients, or end-stage renal disease patients, which is under 1% of the Medicare population. Wow. So definitely 
not only on the technology side, but just better practice and clinical practice, just finding ways to better predict and end up preventing these kidney disease would prevent, be... Prevent, prevent, prevent. Yeah, huge. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really feel that if uh, there was more awareness out there, the prevention could be huge. What it, kind of awareness? Um, just knowing that, knowing that uh, a lot of these things, a lot of folks have high blood pressure, diabetes. I'm of Asian descent. They're of higher risk of those things. Um, knowing that obesity can also lead to high blood pressure, diabetes, and the end result of that is dialysis. The end result of it is kidney failure and going through dialysis, having to get a transplant. And a lot of times you hear about the high blood pressure, you hear about diabetes. I knew about that before. I knew what high blood pressure was. I knew what diabetes was. I didn't know what the end result of it would be. Why do you think that is? Do you think there's a reason why people are, are unaware of that? Um, again, it's not a sensationalized disease, just as Patty was alluding to earlier, saying that if you, something's wrong with your heart, you get a heart attack. And, and it's something specific, but having high blood pressure or you're not gonna have a kidney attack and, and, and things like that, and it's not sensationalized. It's not something that you're gonna, boom, it happens and mm. it's so traumatic and you go to the ER and they try to fix you, they try to revive you right away. This is just a slow thing and all of a sudden, when it hits you, you don't die, you go through dialysis. Mm. And so um, I feel that a lot of the public is also feels that dialysis may be a almost a cure oh you're on dialysis so you're okay you can continue living when it's it's not really a um a a uh, it, it's a treatment for sure but it's 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 not a permanent treatment and it's tough too oh it, it's, very, it's very taxing on the body yeah, yeah. And, I, and it's weird um i think you're, you're absolutely right that it's not sensationalized it's not this sort of acute traumatic event like a heart attack uh, but god I mean when you see what it takes to go through dialysis yeah. the, the toll it takes on your body and it's almost and I don't I don't mean to compare them but the, that's at least what came to my mind but in a lot of people are still very aware of let's say like cancer treatment and going through chemotherapy like that right. process right that's kind of a slow non-traumatic well thing. the thing is is, is with cancer the fatality when you hear cancer you think it could be fatal I mean, you can go within a few months. You can, you literally may have a week or two, or, or so that there, that's where the sensation is with that. A heart attack, you can, you can pass away right away. Uh, stroke, you can, you know, you you can pass away right away. But kidney disease, it's it's the only chronic disease I know that you go home and get treated for, right? You, you do go home and get treated, but you also got to know that the mortality rate for dialysis patients in the first year is twenty five percent. Twenty five percent of people and by five years it's almost 50 percent so it's it is a killer the other connection I want to be sure to make is that uh, is between kidney disease and and heart health Tell us so the vast majority of people who get kidney disease in those early stages uh, will actually uh, suffer from some kind of cardiac event and die from a heart related or cardiac related event as opposed to making it to dialysis Mm. Right, so it turns out everything in our body is connected. We like to divvy it up, but um, heart and kidneys are very closely. So they, they could have passed from a heart attack, and that's the cause of death, and you don't hear about the kidney disease. But the kidney is the first domino. Yeah. And we see that uh, for, for Tura, we're, we're working very hard to find ways to better predict and prevent acute kidney injury, which is kind of like a first domino. 
And a lot of these patients, when we speak to nephrologists, they say, yeah, you know, somebody might get acute kidney injury and they never hear about kidney health again after they leave the hospital. Five, 10 years down the line, their mortality rates are much higher and they end up, they end up dying of something, uh, say, uh, cardiovascular or heart-related. But in reality, a lot of it could have been prevented had the awareness around the kidney and kidney health been there. You know, and, and I feel for nephrologists because they're just as frustrated and, and angry about this. And the problem is that they're, they're, they're brought in at the very end when it reaches, reaches that chronic state. But the nice thing is that now with you know, new companies and technologies and therapies, the nephrologists seem to be moving more and more into the early phases of, of kidney injury and kidney failure with patients. And they're starting to guide some of their peers, surgeons, anesthesiologists, et cetera. You know, to to have better awareness and understanding of the kidney. So, and I, I kind of wanted to jump into into it and hear from Wilson your story. You know, how did this how this all happened? How how you ended up meeting Patty? And of course, like who, <laughs> who is Renal Warrior? Yeah, well, um, you know, it uh, so it all started off uh, uh, just I was 34, 35 years old and. Uh, just going about my life, just uh, living my life and uh, just working. And I started getting gout pains. It uh, started getting worse and worse and worse until one day it, it got so bad where I couldn't get out of bed and uh, went to the emergency room, was told that I had um, stage 5 end-stage renal disease or kidney failure. How old were you when that, that happened? Uh, 2016, I was 34 years old. You're a young guy. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, and, and today I'm 37, so it's only a few years ago, not so long ago. Uh, but again, at the time, I was um, at the time of diagnosis was about 315 pounds. Uh, wasn't healthy at all. Uh, didn't really work out. Actually, never worked out. And just ate whatever I wanted to. Just workaholic. Work, work yeah, what were you doing back then? I was a mortgage banker. I was a mortgage banker, and uh, if you knew anything about the real estate market, the past few years has been hot, hot, hot. There was always an excuse. There was always a deal to be done. There was always meetings to be had. There was always, you know chasing that paper and uh, you know when you're in that uh, hospital bed not knowing if you're gonna survive through the night you can have all the money in the world it didn't matter um, but really at, at, at that point uh, I had uh, two options uh, one was actually only had one option it was going through dialysis the other option was transplant however the doctor said that the nephrologist said I would not qualify due to my weight and I blamed everybody for it I blame my family, I blame my friends, I blame myself, I blame the doctor. I, I was upset at, at the whole world. How come you can't fix this? With all the technology going on in the world today, how come you can't fix this? What did the doctor, you, you shared it, it was very tough to hear this, but when, you, when the doctor first came in and told you what you had, can you, can you tell us about that moment? Yeah, um, well, uh, uh, ER doctor came in and, and, and he, well, when the nephrologist came in, he, he said, look, get ready because your life's about to change. And uh, so what do you mean it's about to change? You know, I got kidney failure, just fix it. Give me a pill, do your surgery, do what you got to do, fix this thing. I got I to gotta get back to work. He's like, no, your life's about to change and you got to get ready for it. You got to get ready for something called dialysis. And it, it was devastating when they described it. It was, it was no more work, no more life. Your just everything has to stop, and you're going to be in this chair where they're going to poke two big old needles in you and, and filter out your blood and, and clean your blood. 
to me it was a death sentence pretty much um the other thing was i thought my way out of it would be a transplant and okay i told my mom at that point let's go let's go find my kidney and when the nephrologist says no you're not going to qualify for a transplant at the moment no matter what until you lose the weight and as i was saying before i was diagnosed with gout or it the inflammation went out throughout my body i couldn't walk i was in a wheelchair left muscles atrophied um and again blame the doctor how do you expect me to lose the weight or exercise when i can't even walk and if i can't even walk i can't lose the weight. i can't get a transplant so what you're telling me is that i'm left here to die and a simple google search at the time average lifespan of a uh, dialysis patient google says between five and seven years and with all the host of issues that i have I mean, Patty was saying 25% pass away in the first, what was it, for, per, first year. And I obviously wasn't the healthiest of persons at the time. Maybe I would be in that 25%. So it was grim. It was a reality check. I didn't want to think about it, but every moment I had by myself, it just crept in my mind again. You may not be around. And then so many, the wheels start spinning. So many things start going through your mind. Would I leave this earth a better place? What have I done with myself? Can I get out of this? Is this worth fighting? Is it, should I just give up? And all these thoughts and all the pain and all the regrets and, and or, or you know things you wanted to do, all this stuff. I don't think anybody at 34 years old should be thinking about that. Well, what, what was it like uh, for your family when, when this happened? It was rough. It, it, it was really rough. Um, it, was, it was very hard on my family. Actually, that was one of the toughest parts for me, was to watch my family go through this. It, I've, I've always been an independent person. I, I left home since uh, after college. I never came back. I was on my own, took care of myself, did very well for myself. And here I am having to call home and saying, I need help. For, for, for someone who's always been on their own, taking care of themselves, it was very difficult for me to do that. So that's number one. And then for my family, my parents especially, my mom, to always know that I can take care of myself now having to come back and, 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 and almost wanting to help and wanting to make it better as a mother, but not being able to. And seeing her go through that was probably one of the biggest pains of going through this. It was just, you know, it brings me chills just to even think about the times where she she was just flustered you know she was always mom she was always a person that can make things better and this time was the time she couldn't make things better no matter how hard she tried and she tried to comfort me but uh, a lot of times it was just it was breaking her um, isn't that what turned you around one of the biggest reasons for me turning around and not giving up um, so on a side note also the day that I started dialysis, I was in the ER. I crashed into dialysis, stuck a catheter in. But that day, that morning, I'd waken up to my father having a stroke. I, I don't know if I, I, don't know I, that. I, you didn't know that. So that, that morning, my father was having a stroke. I wake up, I come downstairs, he says his hand is numb, and I could see him drooping. I said, stroking out get in the car, we're going, we're not calling 911, we just, I, I'm gonna take you there. 
that's the first thing that came to my mind. Got him there, dropped him and my mom off. They're in there. My mom's taking care of him. I come home. I collapse. I had swelled with about 60 pounds worth of fluids over the past couple of weeks as my kidneys were failing. I had been diagnosed a few months before, and I couldn't get up. I called the ambulance to come in to get me. Um, my sister came. She couldn't. Get, I was too heavy. She couldn't. She couldn't help me out of the uh, house. She called 911. They got me. Took me over to the ER, and now my mom has to find out that I was in there, and she's going in between the the rooms. And I remember somebody telling me that she was just in the hallway breaking down and the doctors are telling her that ma'am you can't be here you know there's every, every we're trying to operate her and she's like my son's here my husband's right there i don't know what to do i remember it it it, it crushed her because she came in, in into the er when i was there and she told me look i have to be with your dad uh right now they're going to try to send you home but don't go home I, I need you to stay in here because I can't, I can't take care of you. You can't come home. You know, you need to be in here. And that crushed her. And so that, that, was, that was really rough. You know, I mean, as you can see right now, it just, it, it, I've told that story many times. I, I've, I've, I've talked about being diagnosed, but every time I talk about that particular time, it, it, it gets me every time, you know, so. But um, that was that, that was, at one point in time after my diagnosis, it was so rough that uh, after I was released, it was about maybe six or seven weeks. I had been in the nursing home, hospital, in a wheelchair, getting dropped off at dialysis, uh, transported back, get, having to choose between the bed bed or, uh, or, or uh, just the wheelchair. So that's where they, they would leave me. and. Um, at that moment, it was just, you know what, this is just rough. It's rough on my mom, it's rough on my dad, it's rough on my family, everybody's going through everything. I can't, I can't seem to take this whole thing. I got a, you know, I, I, I had a life just a, uh, a couple of months back and now everything's turned upside down. I can't, I can't go to the bathroom by myself, I can't feed myself, I can't do anything by myself. I've been so independent and here I am, completely dependent on somebody to survive. I had to move out of my place and, and move back home with my folks. I had to do all that. And, what, and, and, and the other thing is, is that the average lifespan of a person on dialysis was not that long. Why fight through this and why go through all this pain? What are the options now? No transplant, that's not gonna happen because I can't lose the weight, I can't exercise. So it was, the easier decision was to just give up. And that was one of the thoughts, just stop dialysis. I also Google search people who, who've passed away on dialysis, it was pretty peaceful. <laughs> so I was like, okay, maybe I'll stop dialysis and maybe be a, a peaceful death, but you know, maybe all this will go away. So you, you went, you were 34 years old, mm -hmm. making, you know, top of your career, making great money, mm -hmm. hustling, mm -hmm. killing it, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, and of course, I'm sure at that time, you know, you weren't you weren't too concerned about your weight because it wasn't affecting you, but then all of a sudden you're in bed. Now it really hits you that you're badly overweight, can't go to the bathroom. You're looking at all these things that pretty much say that yeah, pretty you're much die. Pretty much, I was dying. I was dying, and you know the body was slowly withering away. 
And, and, and the easy part was to give up. Why go through all this struggle? Yeah, why did, so what happened? How did you, how did you come out of that? Well, one of the, one of the biggest reasons was is it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to the, the people that I cared about. It wasn't fair that all my family's gone through all of that. My mom's gone through all of that. My aunt, my, my, my sister, my brother, my father, everybody has gone through. I remember when I was first got out of the hospital, all of my family, they came and visited me and made sure I was okay. It wasn't fair to them. And so to, 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 to give up was, was just almost too easy. It was, it was like a cop-out. Mm-hmm. But if I was going to go, and I remember making that decision to, to either give up or fight. But if I was going to fight, I, was gonna, I wasn't going to just attempt it. I was going to fight like crazy. I was going to go as hard as, go hard or go home. And after I had made that decision and I told myself that I was going to choose to fight, I chose to fight. And I didn't look back. I, 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 no excuses. I don't care what the pain was. Actually, the pain was probably what helped me get through it. The pain helped me feel, let me know that I was alive. Mm-hmm. I got up off that wheelchair and I, I, I made, I made a, a ten foot walk to the door, went back, slept for the rest of the day, went back at it again, went over and over and over again, until I got a little bit stronger and I could go a little bit more, and I went that much further over and over and over again, and you know, in all of this pain of going through these walks and just pushing it, and pushing it, and pushing it. Did, was nothing, was nothing compared to the pain that I seen my mom go through, see my family go through. It just kept on going and going and going. And every time it hurt, I just thought about the pain that I had, that I just went through with everything else and seeing the family go through this, going through dialysis, let's push through the pain again. And you know, it just, one thing led to another. And you're looking at 10 feet became, 15 feet became, 20 feet became uh, half a mile, became a mile, became two miles, became three miles, became four miles, became, you know, walking at, at, at certain points. I'd walk all day and all night, 20 miles a day. And you're looking at after that, just jogging a little bit and biking a little bit. And all I did was just push it further and further and further. And it never stopped. I introduced the diet and it didn't stop. And then just kept on moving and moving and moving and moving. And at, at this moment, I wasn't working. So all I had, I told myself, all I had to do, I had one thing to do. Nothing else mattered. No parties, no social events, no events, nothing. All I had to do was survive. That was my mission, was to survive. And I was going to, if I had all this time on my hands and I wasn't working, I'm going to dedicate all of my days and all of my time to getting better. And that's exactly what I did. And I didn't look back. And that's where it just kept pushing and pushing and pushing until it just walking turned into running running turned into what else where can i where can i be a little bit more dramatic about this so that i can get some attention to this and maybe find find a kidney for myself oh let's do a five i could do a 5k let's do a 5k do a 10k let's do uh let's do these races let's start biking um let's you know and uh I had a few opportunities to, to, to uh, so after about maybe uh, a year of just focusing on myself, all of a sudden one day I wake up and here's this new guy in, in, in the mirror. I, and how much do you weigh now? Right now I, I hover between one, uh, probably probably between 180 and 180, 180 to 187. So depending on, depending on day. 
down from how much? Three. Three fifteen. That's unbelievable. And I, I want to go back to something because yeah, you know, when you first came and spoke here, like this resonated with me, and I think everybody here at the company. But you have a you have a pearl of wisdom that really is a testament to the human spirit, which was right. you had this daunting task of not only finding a way to survive dialysis and kidney failure, but also you're obese. And, 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 and people by themselves without any disease have trouble losing weight, right? Yeah. And you just, instead of looking at this massive daunting task, you focused on one thing to, it sounded, sounded like to, to get over and boost your confidence, which is I'm just gonna walk to the door. And you, right. it sounded like you just kept building little by little momentum on right. that. Right, you know, when you, when you have a lot of time to yourself, and you do these things. You try to find little wins, but you get to sit what the you get to set what those wins are. And if it's a ten, even if it's a ten feet, even if it's one step, if that's your win, then you set it at that. And and that's what I did. I set it at the ten feet walk. That was my win. It was painful to do the first time, but that was my benchmark. Okay, I'm gonna continue to do this. I'm not I'm not competing against anybody else but myself. And so that ten feet walk was the win. And so as I got stronger and stronger, it pushed the goalposts a little bit further. And whatever that, that would be, it just kept on, one thing led to another, but you just kept on setting that goalpost. And I made sure that I kept on winning. And every single win that you get builds a little bit more confidence so that you can push that uh, goalpost a little bit further. How did that have an effect, an impact, I guess, on your health, you know, to go from being and ready to die to, to having more confidence feeling 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 like I have a little bit more control what did that do for you um, it, it was great because the thing is is that uh, I, I say this a lot is that if you can move an inch you can move a mile but if you're if you look at if you have to move a mile and you're going inch by inch and you're like I got to go a mile it's too far it's too it's too daunting why do it but if you're looking at, I'm just trying to get through the inch then it's easy then you get to the next inch, and then the next inch, and so, um, just by, just by setting that, you you get a little bit more confidence, and you're you're not focusing so much on the overall picture. You're focusing on that small win, and all of a sudden, you're looking back, and it's been six months, and you've pushed the goalpost further, and here you are. What it did for me was I got a little bit of confidence. Where okay, I just lost thirty pounds. I'm still 60, 70 pounds away from transplant weight, but if I lose 30 pounds, if I continue what I do, I could lose another 30. If I lose another 30, then I could lose another 30, and I'll be right there. So I didn't look, I didn't focus so much on getting the transplant weight. Everything was just focused in on that week. I remember what my goal was, was uh, when I first started, it was uh, 3,000 steps every other day. When it wasn't when I wasn't on dialysis, then it, I I got a Fitbit. It was three thousand steps, and then it pushed it to five thousand, seven thousand, and then at some point it was it got ridiculous at like forty thousand. But when you were and then as far as weight goal, it was when I got into a rhythm of things and introduced a diet. It was one kilo a week, and it was every Thursday was when I dropped the kilo. So every Thursday when I came in, I was going to challenge myself. And even the nurses and the techs, today's your challenge day. You're going to try to challenge. It's, it's a kilo day. And 
I wouldn't make it all the time. I wouldn't, I wouldn't stick to my diet all the time. I wouldn't meet the uh, Fitbit goal all the time. But what it was was that one kilo a week was my benchmark. And the cool thing about it was if I didn't hit it this week, next week starts all over again. And so I can go for that kilo the next week. And that's the main thing that I, uh, when I talk to other patients, I say, look, don't look at the big overall goal and get discouraged about that. Break it down and let's try to fight it week after week. And if you fall off the wagon this week, you can start over next week. I have a, so I have a question for, for current patients and Patty, if you can weigh in. So I think especially one, because of the, the low awareness, which, which will change, but for patients who are diagnosed with kidney disease, you know, talk to us, what, what can they do? Because I feel like it, if patients, forget about kidney disease, just patients in general that hear a story like Wilson's, it, it, it instills so much hope and confidence in you when you hear that. What, 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 what current resources are, you know, uh, are, are there for, for patients who are diagnosed with, this, with kidney failure or kidney disease that perhaps the NKF has, or what's your recommendation? I think if you're um, fortunate enough to be diagnosed early, stages uh, three or even four, uh, the first thing that you should really explore is talking to a, a renal or kidney dietitian and really looking at your diet. Because one thing that happens when, you, when your kidneys fail is that your diet becomes very restrictive because you can't take in the things that your body can no longer get rid of, so it puts you at risk for other um, complications. So, Early diagnosis and nutrition uh, education are key because that can stop uh, the progress of the kidney disease and keep you away from failure. And that was something I, I wasn't aware of. So this guy was able to have some bananas just a week ago, I think. Yeah. Right? So, they, uh, so why can't you have bananas? Uh, uh, potassium. Potassium, uh, if you overconsume potassium, the kidneys are not able to filter that out. And it's called, what is it called? Hyper hyperkalemia but it's really it can cause problems for your heart yeah it caused problems for the heart um i was told i could pass out um from it but being that i was competing in the triathlon i was afraid this past weekend i was afraid of cramping the most which i still cramped uh <laughs> which by the way just in case anybody thought they misheard he he competed in a triathlon I have a kidney. I don't compete in triathlons. So can you tell me, like, so a few years ago you were on dialysis, you were kidney failure, you were obese. Now you look great, yeah, you're killing so, it, and you're running tri triathlons. So all right. And, so and my, my question on top of that is, when did you become Renal Warrior? That is a okay. that, that is a great question. All right. Let's start there. When did Renal Warrior? When was Renal Warrior? Born? All right. So um, I try to keep it as short as possible, but pretty much after, like I was saying earlier, I was focusing week after week focusing on myself and after about a year I had made a transformation um, uh, maybe a little over a year made a transformation and um, I hadn't seen any co-workers in a very long time and I've seen some of them and they said that there was a, a real estate conference um, happening a leadership summit in Palm Springs and they would really like me to come in to speak they lo were looking for somebody to talk about their journey and they knew me as the big guy. I was always the big party guy. And now here I am, the small guy, and not partying. Oh, not partying. Not partying anymore because, you know, it's uh, I stuck on a strict diet and, and, and just doing my you own thing. You went from the big party guy to, like, the small badass guy that does triathlon. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's pretty much so. 
So they, they asked me to come to speak. I said, okay, this was the first time I've ever uh, publicly uh, talked about my story. And uh, upon going over there, it was a crowd of, uh, I, I forget how much it was, probably a few hundred people. Um, but it was the first time I, I, I spoke. I got very emotional up there, and uh, everybody really was inspired by that talk. And afterwards, so many people came up to me and, and was thanking me for talk, sharing the story, the, the, the sharing the transformation. And um, I biked over there, by the way, from L.A. to Palm Springs. So it was about 80-mile bike ride. I, I had to do something. L.A., just like what the hell? A Why dramatic not? entrance, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Dramatic entrance. bike 80 miles. They, they asked me to do it, come in in a dramatic fashion. But that was that, and, and I told everybody I biked in there. But so many people came up to me and said, you know, my dad's got kidney disease. My brother's got kidney disease. Or such and such just died from it. I wish they would have heard you. Um, you know, you need it talk about this more so that other people know about it and that's when it kind of clicked and it's like right I needed that person when I was diagnosed I needed re renal warrior or I needed somebody to because I was looking for that person when I was diagnosed so I can do the, exactly what they did so that I could qualify for transplant but I couldn't find that person so here I am I've made the transplant list because of the weight I made the transformation while on dialysis. I changed up the way, and I was doing physical activities. And I had become that person that I really needed, uh, that I was seeking when I was diagnosed. And that's where Renal Warrior came about. And that's when I created the uh, profile on Facebook, uh, Renal Warrior, and just putting the word out there that saying, hey, my name is Wilson Dew. Uh, you can call me. And I was looking for a cash name, and it was, in the beginning, was Reno something. And I was like, Reno, oh, no, no. You, know, you remember what it was in the beginning. What was it? Reno, Reno ripped. <laughs> <laughs> you got me on that. And then, so it was Reno ripped. And then after that, it was uh, everybody kept on saying, we're warriors, we're warriors. And I was like, kidney warriors. But so many people had that so, Reno warrior. Boom, stuck. Um, and just use that, and uh, ever since then, I was like, okay, great. I just did this bike ride, which was pretty cool. Um, when I did that speech for the first time, I was telling everybody I biked in there, I got so excited that I committed to a bike ride up and down Northern California, down from Northern California down Southern California. And that's when I started training for that. And now I was thinking, wow, this is gonna be a big deal. I better train for it. And it goes back again, if you can move an inch, you can move a mile. I got to the point where I was walking 10 feet and I just biked 80 miles. Now, if I trained myself, I'm almost certain that I can do this, I could do this trek. So I trained my butt off for the year, did that, and was just thinking about, wow, if I can do that, if I would have saw that when I was diagnosed, I would look to see what that person was doing, what the regiment was, what they were eating, how they were training, and I would do exactly the same thing. And so that's where I started trying to pump out as much content as I can, putting my thoughts about renal water, putting my thoughts about how I felt during certain days. And not all of it was good. Some of it was bad. Some of it was, you know, I sometimes talked about when I got in trouble at uh, dialysis for my labs being bad, for doing the wrong things, or sometimes how, how bad I felt during workouts. You know, sometimes I, I, I was battling the uh, fatigue. It was, it was great. But, I try to be a little raw, but at the same time, I, I wanted to let them know that this all all this could be overcome. 
So that bike ride was a day of biking and then a day of dialysis and then another day of biking and yes. another day of dialysis. For how many days? 13 days. 13 days. 13 days. And I made it uh, to, I started over here in the Bay Area and I made it to San Diego, a touchdown San Diego on, uh, on the 13th day. And I just want to uh, reiterate, so, so uh, diagnosed, you find a nutrition, a nutritionist, and you find a mentor, a peer, yes. or a renal warrior, and someone who's been through that's it. That's a great great way just to kind of plug it in. So online, I know you're on Instagram and on Facebook, right? Yeah. Like, at Renal Warrior. Uh, it's uh, at Renal Warrior 2016, because somebody took at Renal Warrior already, and 2016 was, was when I was diagnosed. Okay. So. Uh, at Reno Warrior uh, 2016, and then Facebook just at Reno Warrior. But just to get back real quick, um, after I finished the bike ride, we had to do something else. Or we weren't done. Had to. And that's where the triathlon came about. Um, the triathlon was a, was a really uh, ambitious goal. It was, uh, I had volunteered at the Oakland Triathlon last year. And in my mind, this was impossible. I'm a dialysis patient. The bike ride was fairly simple. I just had to keep on pedaling, and I, was, I had climbs. It was a gradual beat down. It wasn't anything intense. It wasn't anything so focused on one day. It was seven, eight, nine hours of just keeping my heart rate in rhythm. That was okay. But the triathlon is something completely different. I volunteered there. I was like, great. It's a wonderful event. I'm never going to do it. No way, no how, whatever. And then 2019 rolls in. And then 2019 rolls in, and the uh, gal uh, that uh, was running it, she called me. She said, hey, uh, we have the Oakland Triathlon this year. Uh, would you like to volunteer again? I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I'll volunteer. I'll, I'll bring some people. Oh, and by the way, you can earn 50% discounts if you're volunteering. You want to join? I was like, oh, no, you know, this is not for me. I talked to my trainer, and I said, you know, maybe we should do this as a relay. I've been biking, so I could do the biking, the 25 miles on, on the biking. I don't think that's gonna be an issue. Going through Oakland is pretty flat, and I've biked in upwards of close to 100 miles in a day. That's no problem, 25, so let's do it. I started calling all my friends, let's do a relay. You know, somebody's gonna do the swim, I'll do the bike, somebody else do the run. Let's let's gather up a team, let's see how many people we can get. And I went to my trainer and said, look, we're gonna do this, uh, triathlon let's let's do the relay start training again he said no we're not going to do a relay if you if you want me to train you you want to do this we're doing it i was like okay we can do the sprint distance which is half the distance of olympic which is a half mile swim 12 mile bike ride and a three mile run he's like no we're doing the olympic i was like are you sure you sure you want to do this this was maybe in March, and he's like, Go. March of this year? March of this year. I was, I had been training anyways, keeping my cardio up, and he's like, yeah, we'll, we'll train for this. It's March. I was like, I don't know how to swim. I didn't know how to swim. He's like, we're doing it. Let's go hard or go home. That's how, that's how I want to train you. I was like, okay, let's shoot for it. And I really thought in the back of my mind that by the time we got close, we would say we'd probably do the sprint or maybe we'll switch it over the relay. I, it didn't really sink in, but we got a, a, uh, I got a swim coach and started learning how to swim and uh, just started training with day in, day out, every other day again. It was just like training for the warrior ride. Boom, 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 boom. 
Um, had a couple of setbacks because of uh, uh, of the gym. We can talk about that later. So training was was set back a little bit, but all of a sudden, boom! It's here. It's go time. It was all all of a sudden. It was last Friday. Just this last Friday. Oh my gosh! I got I got this, and I had a few people volunteering on Saturday with the triathlon, and that's when I was going to sign up. I hadn't signed up yet because we were waiting for some discount codes. And I was to go sign up, and it was, this is real. It's either check the sprint, check the Olympic, or check the relay. Check the Olympic, and let's go. No looking back. You came in sporting some bling today. You got oh, today. oh, yeah. I was I was coming in uh, all week. My neck's been hurting because <laughs> I got this a, big. It's a sizable medal. It's a, it's a sizable medal. It's an Oakland Triathlon Festival. Um, but I'm so proud to wear this. Uh, I was looking up dialysis patients that have done triathlons and 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 uh, Ironmans, and uh, unfortunately, there was already somebody else who did it. But it's okay, you know. Chad Ireland, he was uh, he was he did a few Ironmans, so that's highly respectable. But yeah, you know that that whole triathlon was the hardest thing I've ever done, physically, mentally, everything. But you know, when I got close to the finish line. Uh, we had to go up this bridge, and as I was running up this bridge, I can see one of my volunteers, which was my cousin, just screaming and being a warrior, screaming. And it was it was very difficult. Those last few steps, the last quarter mile, every single step was 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 painful. And I thought about just everything, just the emotions of everything that we've gone through, everything that my family's gone through, everything that my friends have gone through, thinking about all the people that I've known that, I've, that have passed in dialysis, thinking about everybody that I've talked to, all the other patients that I've talked to. And I was just like, you just gotta make it to this finish line. I always preach this one step at a time thing. And here it is, this is time to walk the walk, right? Uh, no pun intended, yeah, right? <laughs> and it's just one step at a time, one foot in front of the other, just don't stop. And I, I, I knew I could, because if I stopped, lactic acid and everything, you're not gonna be able to go. But it was one step in front of the other, and it was so fitting that it was so difficult uh, towards this, uh, this last part, but it just, everything just, I, I, I try to contain my emotions uh, running through that, uh, just that last part, and just thinking about everything, everything that's just gone through, just being through my mind. But the minute, like, I, I crossed over the finish line, you know, I, I just let go. I had my sunglasses and my sweat, and I was hoping that I can hide it, but it looks like some people caught it. <laughs> but it, it, it was, I, I, it was very emotional, and it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just for me. It was for my family. It was for all the other patients that are dealing with this. It was for, it was for, for Patty. It was for NKF. It was for everybody that has been in this fight to say, hey. This is not something that's gonna beat you down. Just because you're you're in dialysis does not mean life is over. Doesn't mean you have to do triathlons, but you can sure enough get up and walk half an hour, 20 minutes. And if you do, a little bit goes a long way. And it's not even about the physical activity. It's about uh, just the, the confidence that you get from these little wins. And these little confidence, in the, uh, the little confidence that you get is a pathway to get more confidence so that you can fight this thing when you need when you need to draw on that confidence to go through these battles, to go through dialysis, to go through getting a catheter, to go through other things, you have all these confidence and you know that you've been through something tough. And when some, 
when a when a situation arises that you fought before and you've won and now that you you can fight it again. So that was that was the whole thing of crossing that finish line. And it was so great to see Patty right over there. It, how 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 did you feel? Oh, it was amazing. I I got to the finish line and and uh, um, sort of looking for the Reno Warrior crowd. I figured I would hear them screaming. And uh, sure enough, I was at the finish line. I saw you coming down. I don't know, Wilson. You were maybe a hundred yards. Yeah. And you were you were moving. You were moving, and it was it was really um, totally inspirational. And again, not everybody needs to do a triathlon, but the fact that Wilson was able to do a triathlon is incredible. As a nurse, I was super concerned from a medical perspective. <laughs> so I kept, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? Um, so don't do this at home. But um, it it really is a, a a symbol of what one man can do for a community. We, we we had a triathlon team. Um, there was eight of us. And three people did a relay and uh, five other people. Uh, one person did the sprint and four people did the Olympic, which is the longest distance. And out of the Olympic uh, distance uh, that's part of the Reno Warrior team, we had two folks that were post-transplant. Uh, Matt Reese in Sacramento, uh, Luis Terrazas flew in from Arizona, uh, came in with his mother. And even his mother, he just had his transplant eight months ago. And his mother got the, to Jack Lennon Square where the finish line was. And she was looking for anybody that was in the triathlon to say, can you look up Wilson Dew and Luis and see if they're in the hospital? Because they're not done yet. And it's, we were probably, you know, some of the last folks that came in. But we did it. Oh, you did it. We did it. You know, and I got to say, I, I really personally believe stories like yours and especially with the work that NKF is doing to promote not only awareness but but that there's another route for this kind of thing that I think it's going to help save a lot of people's lives um, you know we see it all the time with people who are diagnosed with different forms of cancer that they overcome and they and and they survive and, and they have wonderful lives and I think that's in part because patients are seeing that yeah that an end result can be death but then they look up and see I can find a way to beat it. So now it's become, you know, a, a friend of mine just get, was diagnosed a couple weeks ago with breast cancer, and she's treating it like it's no big deal, and she's gonna, it's gonna be fine. Yeah. And I think because there's so much more stories about triumph and overcoming this, and I think that you know, kidney failure, kidney disease is the next thing. And in a way, I look at you almost like a like a pioneer in that sense because you're showing people people love stories, and they just need one story to say that could That's be right. me. So before you came along, and I can't think of anybody else aside from you that's doing this in the, for the kidney space, all people see is, if I'm on dialysis, I'm, I'm gonna die. That's it. Yeah. But this is one other thing to start putting a dent in the universe and changing the way people look at it and the way they go about doing it. Not just, I think, patients, but also the medical community. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, it's it's just, it takes a whole village. I, I, have, I have a lot of great support uh, NKF, obviously, um, my uh, dialysis team over at Satellite. Uh, it, it really takes a village, and having all the support to be able to, to move forward, it, it, it really helps out a lot. So I recommend any patients that, uh, that, that, that are diagnosed to get connected with their local NKF uh, chapter. And, uh, and I was going to say, as we wrap up, Patty, can you tell us, uh, what, for patients who are listening right now, where, where can they go? What should, you know, who do they contact? 
Um, they can go to uh, kidney.org, www.kidney.org. They can look up the NKF Pierce program, so they can connect with someone by phone who's in the same stage of disease as they are. There's also NKF Cares, which is a helpline staffed by health professionals, and they can ask any question and get either um, emailed or hard copy information sent to them. Uh, locally, we're at uh, kidney NCA, I'm sorry, kidney.org slash NCA. We have lots of events. We have three walks every year. We have some fun parties. We do a big medical symposium. And we're really uh, intent on increasing awareness around living donation. I do want to say that Wilson is on this journey. And right now, he is a dialysis renal warrior. And I'm looking forward to the day where he is a transplant recipient renal warrior. And he needs a kidney. So if anyone out there listening has thought they would really love to be a kidney donor. Um, this I take it. is the man for you. <laughs> I would um, give you mine, but I only got one. <laughs> I only got one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, share the spare. And, um, that's a great campaign name, share the spare. Is that, did you just come up with that? No, no, no. no. Oh, okay. I was like, that's a, great, that's a great. Cannot take credit. The other thing that we do at NKF, we do a lot of public presentations. Uh, Wilson has partnered with me many times on our workplace wellness, which you have benefited from. Um, and... We're happy to go out and spread the word that way. Um. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I really got started with NKF by going through the walk. And really, when I was uh, on dialysis, just got diagnosed, started dialysis, it was, I felt all alone. I mean, I had my family, I had my friends, but nobody really knew what I was going through um, until I went to my first National Kidney Foundation kidney walk. And I was like, whoa, there's all these people, and they're, everybody's rooting for my success. Everybody's wants to get better. Everybody, you know, they, they're either donors, they're either patients, and you get inspired by that. And, and, and when you are surrounded by the company of, of other people that is, is rooting for you to, to, to win, it really helps you out. It makes all the difference in the world. And it sounds like that's a big key here. I, I think for a lot of patients, the moment this happens, they sort of not only isolate themselves from other people, right. but even their own family. And it sounds like the, your message is don't isolate yourself. Go get, yes. get in contact with people so that so that you're you're around you're around people who are going to encourage and motivate you and, and yes. help you focus on the right things. It's, yes, especially uh, a, a lot of patients. You're you're absolutely right. When they get diagnosed, they isolate themselves, and they're surrounded by their friends and their family. But they feel as if their friends and family won't understand what they're going through. So it's important to when you partner up with uh, or, or or go to NKF events and be able to speak to other people going through this, you get a lot, a lot more support. It helps you through it. And one, one last thing I want, I want to touch on real quick. You know, we're going to put in the show notes uh, the uh, resources that Patty had mentioned, NKF's website, and also your handles. But you, you recently, you had, you had an entrepreneurial inch and you, you opened a, a gym, I believe. Can you tell us just a little bit about that? Yeah, just uh, so quickly was um, when I started uh, walking around, I... I a new gym was opening up, so I, I joined that gym. But I was still embarrassed to go there during regular hours. I would go at 4 or 5 in the morning, so nobody was over there. I didn't know what I was doing. I was afraid to ask questions. Why I, were you embarrassed? Well, it's just because I was sick. I was mm-hmm. frail. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a fistula, which didn't allow me to lift so much weight. And I was afraid to... And I didn't know what I was doing. And I, I was, in a way, almost embarrassed by, by, by my disease. Um... And as I was working with some of these trainers, they got me more comfortable, and they got me 
they, they, they reassured me that it was going to be okay and that they would help me through everything. And, and I'm still working with the same trainers now. Um, so an opportunity had arose uh, a few months ago where I uh, was able to start a gym, but its primary mission is it's a boxing gym by day. So it has regular boxing classes, boot camp classes, just for the general public. But what that's doing is it's helped subsidizing a portion of free classes for any patients. If you're uh, battling kidney disease, kidney failure, obesity, recovering from cancer, if you're just looking for a place to just get better, we have a place. And the first trainer that I've ever worked with, she is there to help those patients get on their way. And it's it's nothing intense, it's just to build their confidence so that hopefully they can get to a point where they can take regular classes. And the goal, the mission of that gym is to create a thousand Reno Warrior stories. We want a thousand Reno Warrior stories to come out of it. As a matter of fact, it, the, the, the gym is called the Mission HQ, the Mission Headquarters, because we're gonna have a thousand missions and every single person that's coming in that, that's chronically ill, that's that's one of our missions. So that's awesome. So that's that's why it's called the Mission HQ. And what's, uh, is there a website, social media handle? Uh, currently right now, if you hashtag the Mission HQ, the Mission HQ, the Mission Headquarters, you will uh, find us uh, right now. It's it's still in its infancy, so we only have a Facebook page, Instagram page, but we're working on the website, and uh, we have the programs uh, uh, up and running for now. Uh, I think the, the chronically ill classes are two days a week, and we have a seniors class where seniors come in to work out as well. It's three days a week, and those are all free of charge uh, to the community. That is fantastic. Yeah. Well, we'll include everything in the show notes, but what what a powerful powerful story and uh, yeah. really one last thing if, oh yeah no please, yeah, no, sure. no no it, it, yeah. like my my main, my main message is, is is when i speak uh, to people out there is that uh, a lot of times we're we're faced with adversity but the mind the body the spirit it's resilient thing if you allow it to get better it will get better but you have to allow it to get better you have to do you have to put in the work i didn't do anything special i don't have any special talents Everything that I've done up to this point was just sheer hard work. I just, I just focused on what I had to do week after week and just put in the work week after week. And sometimes you don't see that improvement immediately, but just focus on what you have to do and continue to get those little wins. And soon after that, you'll look back and it'll be six months, it'll be a year, and your transformation would have started. So continue on that, uh, continue on that fight don't give up if you can move an inch you can move a mile so that's my message out to everybody i can't think of no better way to end the show but hey thank you so much for coming in and we'll leave the, the links to the in the show notes for you wilson patty thank you so much all right Omar. Thank you. appreciate it Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Hills and Valleys. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on our podcast. That way you're notified of new episodes as they're released. And if you're not already, please go ahead and follow Potrero Medical on all our social platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And we'll see you next time.